Happy birthday to Patrice. Happy birthday. <laughs> 19 again, right? 29, somewhere in there, huh? <laughs> well, happy birthday. We're glad that you're here with us today. Well, uh, I was thinking this week a lot about the fact that when somebody dies, we, want, we all want them to be in a better place, right? And so one of the things that we often hear around us is, well, heaven gained another angel, right? How many times have you guys heard that? And, and the problem with that is it's not really biblical, but, but I can understand why people say that because they think that would be a really great thing as if when my loved one died that they would become an angel. That would be like the greatest thing. But what I, I hope to show you this morning is that that actually wouldn't be the greatest thing. As a matter of fact, I would, I would even go so far as to say this, that if we were to become angels when we died, that actually wouldn't be a promotion at all. That would be a demotion or a downgrade. And I think you'll see why that's true as we look at the Scriptures today. Now, I, I understand where that came from. I, I don't know exactly when it started. I think it's been around for a long time, probably even before Clarence got his wings in It's a Wonderful Life, you know? But certainly movie and TV's, or kind of promote that idea a lot of times. But like I say, it really wouldn't be a promotion. And we're going to see that today as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to begin in just a moment reading in verse 5. But before we do that, I just want to point out to you something to look for this morning as we read through that passage together. And that is there's going to be a whole lot of pronouns in here. Especially him and his and he. And in order for us to understand this passage properly, we're going to have to understand who they're referring to at those times because it's going to kind of change as we go through this passage. And so I just, I'm going to stop a couple times and just point some things out as we go through there because I think it's really going to be important for us to be able to properly understand what's written here. So, so I'm going to go ahead and begin reading this morning in verse 5, and you can follow along. We're going to actually finish the chapter today, as I mentioned last week. It says, Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, I would suggest to you that in this first section, in these first eight verses here, that the hymns and the the he's, they're all referring to man. And, and that the writer of Hebrews here, he's going to quote, quote from Psalm 8. And as David wrote that psalm, and as the writer of the Hebrews quotes it here, he's referring to mankind. And the point he's making here is that, that it was God's plan from the very beginning to make man a little bit lower than the angels for a time, but to put everything in subjection under man. And to understand that, we have to go all the way back to the creation. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God made man and woman. He made them male and female, made him in his own image. And then it says this in, uh, towards the end of Genesis chapter 1. It says, and God blessed them, 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And here's the key part. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So from the very beginning, it was God's design that when he created man, that man would have dominion over his creation. Now we know that today that's not true, is it? Man doesn't have dominion over much of anything, does he? Not even over himself, I would argue. I mean, think about it. Man is is subject to natural disasters. Most of you know today there's going to be a hurricane that's going to hit around New Orleans again, and man can't really do anything about that. Those storms aren't in subjection to man by any means. We're subject to disease. We're subject to, to all kinds of things. We're all going to die someday. And we, don't have, we can't do anything about that. But that wasn't God's original intent. That only happened after man's sin. And that, that, that dominion was taken away from man because of his sin. There's one place in this first section where the hymn doesn't refer to man. And that, that's in, uh, it says here, but God, he, or but he, speaking of God, left nothing outside Speaking of man's control, his control. And the point he's making there is that that's been true. That's been true since the very beginning. That God, God put everything in subjection to man at the beginning. That was his intent, but man lost out on that when he sinned. But we're going to see this morning that at some point in time, God is going to restore that dominion to mankind. And that's all completely dependent upon what Jesus Christ came to do for us. And when that happens, even though right now the angels do have some advantages, I will admit that. I mean, right now you think it would be good to be an angel, right? They're not subjected to disease. They're not subjected to these natural disasters. They never die. It seems like that would be a good thing. But you know what? Someday, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to be in dominion even over the angels. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. He says, Do you not know that we are to judge angels. So one day, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to be in a position that's far greater than the angels, even though right now you might be somewhat below that, but you're going to be actually putting them in subjection to you. So with that in mind, we're ready to kind of continue now. And and beginning in verse 9, there's going to be kind of a change here. And the author is going to change all the pronouns now, the hymns and the he's, are going to primarily refer to Jesus Christ. And we know that right away because he names Jesus right away in verse 9. So here's what he writes. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So we know right away he's talking about Jesus here. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So but that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by, and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again... Behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore 
The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So now that we've read that, we're really ready to kind of develop the main idea that we're going to look at today and that we're going to develop. And here's what I'd like you to take out of this passage today. That Jesus became a man so that I can become who God designed me to be. That Jesus became a man, he did that so that I can become the one that God designed me to be. And that is the one who has dominion over all of his creation. And so today we're going to see how, how God does that. Now, a couple of weeks ago we looked at Hebrews chapter 1. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the author primarily talks about how Jesus is God. And that the reason that he's superior to all the angels is that he is God. He's 100% God. Now here in chapter 2, even what we saw last week he kind of turns the tables and he's now going to tell us that Jesus is not only 100% God, but at the same time, he's also 100% man. And it's hard for us to get our our handle around that. It's not saying at all that that he gave up some of his deity. He's still 100% God, but at the same time, he he has added to that his humanity. And we're going to see this morning why that's so important. Now, the author here is dealing with a a teaching at that time that was called docetism. And those docetists, they taught that Jesus didn't have a real physical body. It was just a spiritual body. And that it didn't feel pain. That it couldn't really die. They even, would, they even said that when Jesus would walk along the seashore that he wouldn't leave footprints. So much for all those plaques you guys have in your house, right? With the footprints on there of Jesus carrying you down. You know, according to them, that just can't happen. But we're going to see this morning that it, that's just not true. That Jesus, He had a physical body just like us, that He felt pain. That He suffered all the same things that we did. He died on the cross. He really died. And so, so that was important. And we know that to these Jews, remember he's writing here to some Christians that were Jew, had Jewish backgrounds. We know that to them, that this was a real stumbling block to them. The whole idea that the Messiah could die, that was a huge stumbling block. And again, Paul had written about this back in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, and that's a stumbling block to the Jews. I mean, they really, these Jews that he's writing to, they have two big questions that he's trying to answer here. And two questions that we need to answer. Here's the first question that he needs to answer. How could Jesus be greater than the angels if he died and the angels don't die? I mean, I think that's a fair question to ask, right? How can he be greater than the angels? I mean, the angels don't die and Jesus came to this earth and he died. That's a fair question. And the second question is kind of similar to that. 
But here's the second question. If Jesus is the Messiah, how could he die? I mean, they had this idea that the Messiah, when he came to earth, he was going to be this this conqueror who had set up an earthly kingdom. And he's going to do that one day, but that wasn't his purpose the first time that he came to earth. And so we see here that, that we need to be able to answer those two questions. They're good questions. And it is true. I don't know about you, but, but to me it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that that's how God chooses to save the world. That's how God chooses to put us back into the rightful place that we had at creation before we sinned. I mean, I could think of a thousand different ways I would do it before that. But it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God thinks. And it says in this passage that God says it is fitting that this is the way that God would choose to save the world. This is the way that God would choose to restore us to the position that we had before the fall where we're in dominion over all his creation. That he would do it through Jesus Christ and through Jesus dying on the cross. Now you guys know that when I preach, if you've been here for any time at all, that I try to make these messages really, really practical. I try to leave you, when you leave here, here's, here's a couple of things that maybe you could do this week to apply the passage. Well, this morning, I'm not going to really do that so much. I'm not going to give you anything to do per se. But what I hope to do is I hope that maybe just to a little degree that you'll leave here today with what I with what I experienced this week as I read this passage over and over and prepared to preach today. And that is when I look at what it says here about what Jesus Christ did for me, when I see that Jesus would love me enough to leave the glory of heaven and to put on the body of a human being and to suffer and to die on a cross for little old me, that he would make it possible for such a rigid sinner as I to have a relationship with God, that he did that to make it possible so that one day I could be restored to the way that God made me in the first place? I, I can't tell you. I just went around with this sense of awe and wonder all week. And it's my prayer for you this morning that you would leave here to just, maybe just to a little degree, to having your sense of awe and wonder of God rekindled just a little bit because of what we're going to learn together this morning. So with that in mind, let's take a few minutes to kind of wrap this up by talking about how it is that the humanity of Jesus makes it possible for me to be who God designed me to be and why he had to become a human in order to do that. And we're going to talk about four things here that that Jesus does by becoming a human that make it possible for me to one day have a place that's superior to the angels, even though now for a little while I might be lower than them. The first thing we see here is that he conquers death. He overcame death. And in order to do that, Jesus had to be a real man. He had to be flesh and blood. It says here, not only does he conquer death, but he even conquers the fear of death that Satan uses to put us into slavery and bondage. And Jesus conquered that because he was flesh and blood, because because he did physically die on that cross, because he rose from the grave. If he didn't do that, if Jesus wasn't a man who died, then, then really the resurrection is nothing but a fraud, and we might as well all go home right now. He had to be a human being to die on that cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to overcome death. 
And the only way he could do that was by putting on a body of flesh. No angel could do that. Angels, angels don't die, so they can't do that for us. Only Jesus could do that. So the first thing that happened is he overcame death. Here's the second thing that he does by becoming a human. He reconciles me to God. It says here that he became a great high priest for us. And the author of Hebrews is going to come back to that idea over and over again as we, as we make our way through the book of Hebrews. And he's going to go into a lot of detail. But for right now, what I want us to understand was the role of the high priest in the Old Testament. What did the high priest do? He served as an intermediary between God and man. He would make these sacrifices at the tabernacle and later the temple. And those sacrifices were intended to to cover over our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. But that was only temporary. See, Jesus had to come. Really, the high priest, all he could do was show us the way to salvation. What Jesus does, he doesn't just show us the way, he becomes the way to salvation. As a matter of fact here, it says that he's the founder of our salvation. And that word there, founder, it's a really interesting word. Literally, it means a trailblazer. And that's what Jesus does. He's a trailblazer to our, found, to our salvation. He doesn't just tell us the way to go. He leads the way by dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. The second word that we see here that's kind of a key word in this passage is one that you might be wondering about. It's the word propitiation. It's one of those big theological words that we throw around a lot of time. And a lot of times you might not know what that means. It's really fairly simple. It just means that he appeased God's wrath on our behalf. The fact is that every single human being sins, that every single one of us in this room, every one of you joining us online this morning, that you have sinned and you deserve God's wrath. That's a fact. But Jesus, by dying on the cross, by being a human being, he took all that upon himself, that wrath. And he appeased God's wrath on our behalf. And again, he could only do that if he was a human being. That's the only way that he could appease God's wrath for mankind. And he did that willingly and lovingly for you and for me. The third thing that he did by taking on humanity here is that he makes me part of his family. And here, this is the part, I'm just going to tell you, this is the part that completely blows me away here. That we could be part of God's family. That, that's amazing, isn't it? It tells us here that, that our sanctification comes from exactly the same place that Jesus' sanctification comes from. And that's like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying the only way that you can be made righteous with God, the only way that I can be made righteous with God is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That none of us on our own, we, none of us have the ability to be made right with God. None of you are righteous. I'm not righteous. But when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for God to take that righteousness of Jesus and, and we talk about imputing it to us. Here's the way Paul put it in 2 Corinthians. He said, For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And so what, he did, what happened when Jesus died on the cross, he, he imputes his righteousness to us. And God now looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see my sin. And that makes it possible for us to be part of God's family. Now, had Jesus never become a human being, he could call us a lot of things. He called people some of these things while he was here on earth. He could call us his creation, right? He was the creator. He could call us his servants because that's what we're supposed to be. He could call us his disciples. He called men his disciples while he was here on earth. But the one thing he could never call us unless he became a human being was his brother. Think about that. Because he was willing to put on flesh and blood, and it says to become like us in every way, he now calls us his brother. Now, I don't know about you. I don't understand that completely, but I don't need to. I, I marvel at that. I rejoice in that, and I pray that you will too. The fact that, that Jesus was willing to come to this earth and put on a body of flesh so he could call you a brother and make you part of his family, that's amazing. Finally, the last thing that he did is he helps me when I suffer. It says here that, that Jesus came to earth to help us when we suffer, when we face temptation. When I had my knee replacement surgery a couple of years ago, I remember uh, going to uh, physical therapy afterwards. And for the most part, I actually kind of enjoyed the physical therapy, except for one part of it. I always knew, I always hated the end of it, because I knew at the end Brandon was going to tell me, go ahead and get up on the table, Pat, and lie down. And then Brandon was going to take my knee and bend it in ways that I don't think it was supposed to be bent. And it didn't matter how much pain medication I had taken that day before I got there, I was going to scream. I screamed really loud when that happened. Matter of fact, one day they sometimes at lunchtime they would just leave the door to the little uh, room open there and some people would come in and the receptionist wasn't there and I told you, you better shut the door because everyone else is going to leave when they hear me scream. So he'd do that and then he'd let me rest for a little bit. And guess what? He'd do it again. And then he'd do it for the third time. And i got to tell you, my whole life, I've never felt such excruciating pain as that. But you know what? That pales in comparison to what Jesus suffered for me on the cross. I can't even begin to imagine what that was like. Not only the physical suffering, but the emotional and the spiritual suffering that went along with having all the sins of the world laid upon Him and having His Father have to turn away from Him and all that sin. And the fact is that we can't ever say, God, you don't know what I'm going through. I mean, have you ever felt like that? God, you don't know how hard this is. You don't know how difficult this situation is. You know what? Yes, He does because He came down here to this earth and He put on a body and He suffered Himself. Not because he deserved it, but because we did. And so when I'm being tempted, I can't say, God, I can't stand up to this temptation because it tells us Jesus did that. Matter of fact, 
In a few weeks, we're going to get to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read this verse that talks about the fact that Jesus was tempted just like we are, and yet without sin. Here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we've seen this morning that Jesus became a man so that I can become who God designed me to be. You know what? If all Jesus had done was to come to this earth to die on the cross to pay for my sin and make it possible for me to have a relationship with God, that would be enough. But he did far more than that. When he came and put on flesh and blood, when he came and put on the body of a man, he also made it possible so that one day I'll regain that dominion that I once was supposed to have at the creation over all of his creation, including the angels. So I hope you see why I said earlier this morning that that. When we die, we don't really want to become angels. That would be a downgrade. That would be a demotion. God has something much, much better in store for all of us. And He made that possible because He was willing to put on a body and come down here to earth and live as a man. So what we're going to do this morning here in just a moment is I'm going to first give you some time just to reflect on that quietly where you sit about what God's done for you and then as we close our time this morning we're going to sing three songs that I hope will help to just reinforce the things that we've learned today to help you to focus on the fact that Jesus came and put on a body of flesh that he became a man that he suffered for you and me so that we could be those who God designed us to be so would you go ahead and just close your eyes right now bow your head Take a few moments just to reflect upon that. The worship team is going to come back up. And in just a moment, we're going to close our time by singing some songs that will help us to reflect on that some more.
just really blown away by how much you love us. About the humility that it took to put on a body. And Father, as we sing these next songs now, I pray that you'd help us just to reflect, to praise you for who you are. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand?